Welcome back to the Make It the Bananas College Basketball Podcast. Uh, we we had the Gabbit games going on this weekend. We had some wild Pac-12 action. Uh, just finished up after the San Diego State-Arizona State. That game went down to the wire. San Diego State gets the big win. Samford was on the uh, you know side of a big upset. George Mason's uh, back into the, you know, they're they're back. They might go to the Elite Eight, uh, just like 2006. We've got, uh, and then we'll of course preview what should be the Hall of Fame Classic. But Sean, fun week in college basketball. I think the Gavit games gave us kind of a good, you know, double header for four nights this week, and mm-hmm. I'm excited to break it down. Yeah, the Gavit games, awesome. I mean, the first game, Illinois Marquette was the first one, and Andre Curbelo was just terrible in that game I mean there I don't know a nice way to put it he was awful like he had a really bad game and Illinois as a whole had a really bad game I think if Kofi Coburn change it plays that changes things for sure uh like but they just Shaka Smart really has things rolling at Marquette early I mean I was very questioning that roster heading into this year I was like well they're going to be really good defensively but they can't score but Daryl Morsell has turned into a really good player and some of their freshmen have looked really solid. Cameron Jones is a really good shooter from outside. He's looked solid. David Joplin has looked pretty good. Stevie Mitchell has probably been the least impactful freshman that they have, which is a little surprising to me considering he was the most highly touted out of all of them. Uh, but overall, Marquette looks really good. Like, this is a team I'm going to have them right next week. I think I've been very impressed by what they've done. Yeah, I've definitely been impressed. I mean, they will still, I guess we'll touch on it. They'll, they'll still have the Charleston Classic. Uh, they beat Ole Miss tonight. Yeah, Ole Miss. Is who else is in the Charleston Classic? Uh, is that Elon in West Virginia? Yeah, they'll they'll get West Virginia, then the winner of St. Bonaventure, winner or loser of St. Bonaventure Clemson. So hey, yeah. I mean, if Marquette wins the what's it called? Charleston Classic. Charleston Classic, right? Of course. Uh, so if they win the Charleston Classic. Then they will be seven and zero with some pretty quality wins. Like I like I don't know how many people had them as a tournament team heading into the season, but they're setting themselves up really well unless they have a DePaul twenty eighteen twenty nineteen Big East or was it twenty nineteen twenty 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 nineteen twenty twenty Big East. Hey, DePaul didn't miss the tournament that year. They didn't miss the tournament, but they sure weren't making the tournament. Yeah, but they were ranked for a minute, right? Or were they just outside? Uh, no, because they they would have been ranked, and then the like the day the Sunday before the AP poll came out, they like laid an egg against Buffalo. Mm, okay, they moved- I remember they beat Texas Tech, and yeah. I think they beat Iowa, right? Or they played they, Iowa. They beat Iowa like earlier in the season, but they beat Texas Tech. And then, like, all the yeah. analytical ranking, mm-hmm. even, like, Ken Palm had them after that game in, like, the top 25. So it was, like... They were 9-0. and Yeah. Like you said, heading in... They beat Minnesota. That was a big road win. That's what I was thinking of. Uh, not Iowa. They did beat Iowa, too. So they had three really good wins. And yeah. then they go and lose at home to Buffalo. Less than ideal. Even though that Buffalo team ended up being pretty good. And then, after that... Yeah, they just went downhill after that pretty much. They went, what, 3-15 and 15 in Big East play? That's terrible. Uh, but DePaul today, though, they look good. 
I, I don't know if they look good. I, I just think Rutgers looked worse. I mean, that, that they was, didn't look bad. Yeah, it, it was not pretty for, there for a lot of the game. That's true. Yeah, I'll give you Help. that. It wasn't both, pretty. Both teams decided to randomly make all the shots they had missed the entire rest of the game. So, Yeah, I mean, Rutgers is not good. I think we can come to that conclusion. They are not good. Yeah. Um, they trailed at halftime of all four of their first games, which includes Lehigh, Merrimack, and NJIT. And now DePaul. And DePaul. DePaul is probably the game they look the best in, which is not exactly ideal. Because, like, their offense was a little bit better than it had been. Mm -hmm. It's still like, oh, this team stinks. They scored 48 points. Against Merrimack. Yeah. 48. That's that good. That, that's like very close to the VCU Vanderbilt game 47 to 38 yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, Rutgers not going to be making the tournament. Neither will DePaul, but DePaul's fun. It, it's fun when DePaul's like. Relevant at all. Somewhat. Like they, when they haven't completely ejected yet from the season. Mm-hmm. That's when they're fun. Like, when they eject, it's like, uh, DePaul, who cares? But they haven't ejected yet. They're good yeah, definitely. at some point, but they haven't done so yet. So, there we go. But, yeah, going back to that Marquette-Illinois game, I mean, late in that game, I mean, Andre Cabello, I think, you could, I, I would say Andre Cabrello lost Illinois that game. Like, he had some terrible turnovers. He tried, like, a step-back, fade-away 30-footer. Oh, God, yeah. That, like, it it came up, like, two feet short. One, he can't shoot threes to begin. At all. Oh, At all. He's shooting, like, it, if teams are going to leave him wide open, I guess you can shoot it, but if no no reason for these fadeaway step back threes i mean he he had 11 points he had like one good sequence like in the start of the second half where he was kind of playing within himself got a couple nice assists but the rest of the game he was just a complete disaster trent frazier was kind of carrying them in this game i do think coleman hawkins gave some really good energy i'm interested to see kind of what uh, his role will be once Kofi Coburn comes back, because he's like a really good rebounder, real good kind of glue guy, I think he could be a piece. But I think this was kind of a game, one, I think early enough in the season where Illinois was willing to lose. And two, I, I think Underwood kind of let Andre Cabello self-implode a little bit. And granted, they still had a chance, so I, I'm interested to see – or know what Brad Underwood was necessarily thinking, uh, you know, leaving him out there to just kind of self-implode there, but he could have, you know, gone to Alfonso Plummer or something like that, and Illinois probably ends up winning the game, but he didn't, and uh, Marquette, you know, scrappy team win, they get the win there, and yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do the rest of the way in the Charleston Classic, but Marquette certainly looks like a different program now. 
Yeah, and you touched on it about the Andre Curbelo three-pointer. He took a few threes in the game. He's five for 39 in his career. Like, I think Andre Curbelo is a really good player. I'm not going to say because he had a terrible game that he's a bad player. He's not. He's a good player. But unless he's able to figure out a way to at least be, like, a decent three-point shooter, I think he's always going to be a little limited. I don't think he's going to be an All-American if he can't shoot the basketball. I mean, how many six foot one guys that can't shoot the basketball at all are really like all American caliber? I can't think of many. Like, cause he, it's not like he's like a 25% shooter. You'd almost take that at this point. He's shooting yeah. below 16% for, for his career from three. Yeah. Like small sample size, sure, but like 39 shots and he's made five? Well, like, it's a small sample size because he can't shoot. Yeah. Like, if if I'm opposing defenses, I'm leaving him open every time. Like yeah. you'll you want him to shoot the ball, just kind of be I don't know, give him space, and then because you know he's going to try to drive the ball, he's going to try to make plays, uh, he's going to dribble a lot. You know what he's going to do probably, and he's a very skilled passer, even though he made some bad passes in this one. But I think overall, like you you gotta you gotta make him shoot the ball if you're opposing teams. I think that's how you can kind of scheme Illinois a little bit. And obviously with Kofi Coburn coming back, he's gonna be able to set some really good screens and that might not be as much of an issue because Kofi is so good at setting screens. But I think I think Andre Curbelo needs to be able to shoot the ball at least a little bit. Yeah, and you know, you, you touch on it there. I think what teams might be able to do with Andre Corbello defensively at some point is kind of what uh, I think it was UCF did against Duke against Trey Jones in the ter- 2019 tournament where they just said, if you want to shoot threes, we'll let you, but we're going to put Andre Corbello's uh, defender in the middle of the paint and just say, mm-hmm. you know, shoot all the jumpers you want. We'll live with you shooting jumpers. And, uh, yeah, I, I think there will be a game this year where someone maybe goes overly extreme. Maybe it needs to be like a super underdog, uh, a, I don't know who's kind of in that, um, Minnesota, like maybe Minnesota does that, Northwestern, like just yeah, has yeah. such a game plan where they're like, we're just going to let Andre Curbelo shoot all game long and see where that results and yeah it's definitely going to be something he needs to work on uh but also not force shots either uh if that kind of makes sense yeah and like I'm not worried about Illinois they're going to be just fine because they're without their best player I mean Kofi Coburn's one of the best players in the country so like they look terrible but like what would they have looked like with Kofi Coburn I think that I think that matters I think they shouldn't have been eight and a half point favorites or whatever because they were without their best player. So I think that point of it, and they were on the road, their first road game of the year. I think it was just a bad matchup for them. I mean, it just was, and they definitely didn't play great. But what you also have to consider is they were up for a good amount of that game. I think they were down a little bit in the first half, but they were up like eight or nine with like four or five minutes to go. And they made like one shot with five minutes or less left on the clock. Like they made a couple free throws. But they just could not hit a shot late. And like Marquette, in in their own in their own ways, they also tried to give the game away. They went eighteen for thirty one from the foul line. I mean, they were just breaking free throws left and right. Like it was, they were just not making them. Yeah, 
Like I mean, even Tyler, like even Tyler Kolek, like you think about the last couple minutes, Stevie Mitchell gets fouled, misses both free throws down one, uh, 30 seconds left. Then Trent Frazier turns it over and one for Kolek. What does he do? Misses a free throw. But then Curbelo turned the ball over. I mean, that kind of encapsulates everything that game was. It was, it was terrible, but there was just something, it was fun because the atmosphere is awesome, but the actual basketball was terrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which is also why we'll, probably not be putting Marquette into the my top 25 but hey they they, they still could prove themselves in the Charleston Classic. We'll the Charleston yeah. Classic, yeah. Yeah. Uh I I thought the biggest game for this weekend like the biggest matchup was Seton Hall against Michigan and Seton Hall goes on the road gets the kind of signature win of the non-conference uh season. This was a game like Seton Hall had multiple opportunities where it looked like it was kind of getting, you know, Michigan was going to kind of pull away and Seton Hall just never kind of let them do that. They hung around and ultimately they, you know, get the, I think it was free throws to kind of give them a lead. Uh, Terrence Williams missed one, made or missed the first, made the second and, uh, Seton Hall ends up with a win, but yeah, this is a, you know, good Seton Hall team. They played very tough defensively. Uh, EK Obiagu held Hunter Dickinson kind of in check. Uh, the freshmen are going to be playing better. I think Diabite had a very poor game. Caleb Houston couldn't hit the side of a backboard, but, uh, Michigan's freshmen will be better. They need to be better. But I thought this was a really signature win by Seton Hall. I mean, Seton Hall has looked really impressive. They're great on the defensive end. And the big thing for me is Bryce Aiken looks healthy. Like, Bryce Aiken looks good. He's not having the same kind of numbers he had at Harvard, but he's not taking as many shots. But, like, he's been really good in three games this year. He had the game-winning free throws there, had 12 points in this uh, per game this season, shooting 54% from three, six for 11. Uh, so he hasn't taken a ton of shots, but, like, he's been really effective, and he looks comfortable he looks healthy, and that's the question has never been his talent level. I, I think I've said this on a podcast not that long ago. I might have said it last podcast. Like, the question of Bryce Aiken has never been his talent level. He's always been one of the most skilled scorers in the country, even back in his days when he played for Harvard. But he's just never been able to stay healthy consistently. If he's healthy all year and can be a 12 to 15 point per game guy, I think that raises Seton Hall's ceiling a lot because they're really good on the defensive end. And he could be their go-to scorer potentially with Jared Roden being another guy that can score. Miles Kale can hit a three, get three and D wing. And then you have, you know, guys inside like Tyree Samuel, Alexis Yetna. Obiagu is not much of a scorer, but he blocks a ton of shots, four blocks per game uh, this season. And Jameer Harris transfer from American. He also can hit some threes. So there's shooting on the team, there's size, a lot of athleticism and a lot of defense. So I think the Seton Hall team is pretty legit. Yeah, most definitely. I, I'd say they're, you know, I would still probably peg Villanova as the favorite in the Big East, but like Seton Hall, I, I thought it was like a Grand Canyon size gap between Villanova and the next best team in the mm-hmm. Big East. I think Seton Hall has kind of closed my thinking on the gap. I think it's more of like a, maybe, uh, Colorado River or something like that. Yeah, and like the Big East, the Big East is really good. I mean, 
Providence, I question how good they actually are. I think that was more indicative of Wisconsin just being pretty bad. They had nobody that could stop Nate Watson. I just think Wisconsin's pretty terrible, and they didn't have Jonathan Davis. Providence has played pretty poorly in their other three games of the year, so I'm not sure where I sit on them. Butler's looked really bad all year. They turned the ball over a ton. They can't score. I don't, I'm not very in on Butler at this point. I think I'm going to end up being a little bit wrong on them. St. John's, though, they look the part for sure. I mean, they look really good. Yeah. And then Xavier picking up a big win against Ohio State. I mean, without they, Zach Fremantle. Yeah. That's a huge win. So, uh, I, I kind of wanted to go Xavier, Ohio State next, unless you have any final thoughts on Seton Hall, Michigan. No, I think that's about it. I mean, Michigan's still a Final Four contender. I'm not concerned about them at all. Uh, they could potentially match up with Arizona, which we'll talk about later. That potential matchup, that's a game I'd be very ecstatic for. So we'll see what ends up happening there. But Michigan's legit, too. I mean, just two really good teams. They came out on the wrong side of this one, but they played fairly well. Yeah, and I I did think, like, the freshmen were maybe a little bit overwhelmed by the, like, size and physicality of Seton Hall. I don't think they'll be that way in December. They certainly won't be that way January through April, but I I just think it was kind of like that first real litmus test for Michigan and they they end up losing, but hey, it could that game could have easily gone Michigan's way as well. So, good game there. Xavier though, they take care of Ohio State. Uh, you know, Paul Scruggs had the signature dunk of the night. But he wasn't their best player. I think it was Jack mm-hmm. Nunji. They made a you know, concentrated effort to get it inside to him. He was scoring on the low block. He was kicking out to three-point shooters. Uh, Grant, they didn't shoot necessarily at a high level. They still you know, were able to kind of get into the late stages of the game. And that's where kind of Paul Scruggs took over. So good win for Xavier. And this was kind of a team I – question you know the coaching of Travis Steele coming into this season it's early but going with getting a big win against a top 25 Ohio State team without Zach Fremantle who is probably the going to end up being the team's leading scorer that is a big time uh, win for Xavier yeah I agree with you Uh, Xavier like they probably should have they probably should have lost this game if you take in all the things that went against them. You look at their best player, I would say Zach Fremantle being out of this shot, 5 for 24 from deep. You don't typically win those games, but I think the atmosphere in Cincinnati was great, so I think that played a big role. And they're only shooting 23% from deep on the season. Nate Johnson has struggled quite a bit. Adam Kunkel got it going a little bit in this one, but he ended up going 2 for 8, so I guess he didn't really get it going. But Jerome Hunter, Adam Kunkel, and Nate Johnson have really struggled from deep. Paul Scruggs hasn't hit many threes. Uh, I think, I, I think they'll be fine, but, and I'm not really concerned about the three point shooting yet, but I'd like to see a game soon where they actually shoot the ball well. Like, I don't think it's a real issue, but I want to see them shoot it well. Yeah. I mean, with, with Xavier, I think Nate Johnson, you can count on to be like that 40% type player. And obviously went 40% in this game, two for five. It's just, you gotta get, you know, Adam Kunkel going two for eight. That's not ideal. Uh, Jerome Hunter, you know, if he goes one for three, maybe we're looking at him a little bit better. Like, it, there's slight ways for this team to kind of like 
improve shooting wise. And as mentioned, they're they're not without their best players. So I mean, all things considered, this was good for them. And it was also good to get like this type of atmosphere because Centos was rocking. I I know Xavier wanted to be like kind of this was a battle of like we're the best team on Ohio and we own this state. I think, you know, the Xavier fans, the Xavier team was a little bit more riled up than I would say Ohio State was for the game. But Ohio State credit to them for kind of staying in the game to begin with, but ultimately Paul Scruggs said we're winning this game in the end. Yeah, definitely. I think Xavier will return to the NCAA tournament this season. Yeah. And as for Ohio State, like I I question the backcourt. There's a lot of turnovers that go on. Ichi Johnson played a really good game. We've seen flashes of Malachi Branham. I'm I'm interested to see when Chris Holtman just straight up turns to Michi Johnson and Malachi Branham full time as like the primary guards. Because when that happens, that they'll they'll lose some games because of those two. But they they the upside is there for them to uh, have their best performances because Jamari Willer's just kind of a glue guy role guy. Yeah, I do wish they would have added, like, a really solid playmaking point guard from the portal. They didn't, and Justice Sewing, who's a starter for him, didn't play in this game. I think that matters a little bit. They still probably would have lost because they just got outplayed, but Sewing's going to be out for a while, it sounds like. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I think Ohio State's going to make the tournament. I think they'll be fine. They don't. They haven't played well, but E.J. Liddell looks like one of the best players in the country. Like, he, he took a big step. Like, he looks really good. Yeah. Especially, like, he was blocking shots left, right, you know, all over the place in this game. Yeah, I didn't really know he had that kind of shot blocking in his game. Like, I really didn't know that. Like, I don't know how many shots he blocked before this year, but I don't remember him being, like, a great rim protector. Like, I don't remember that being a thing. Yeah. He blocked 1.1 shots per game last year. So he could block some shots, but this year he's already blocked 15 shots. In four games. That's that's like uh, Ike Obiagu type numbers. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys who are blocking a lot of shots this year. Shot blocking is back. Yeah, it is. It is. All right. Uh, next kind of like thriller game of this challenge was Indiana against or beating St. John's. This is a game that came down the wire. Julian Champagne had a game wing three that. Uh, did not go down, was not really a good look to begin with, but credit to Indiana. I thought it was a good look, though. I thought, all things considered, that possession was garbage. Like, they had nothing going for him there. Yeah, it's the best look they could have gotten, but it was still, like, a contested double-team fadeaway 25-footer. Like, that, that's that's not a good shot, but that you mentioned it right. Like, that possession was going nowhere. Nowhere. That that was, you know, credit to Mike Woodson calling like a full court pickup, ninety four feet uh, trap, you know, on that last play because St. John's when they basically forced out of Champagne's hands, uh, they didn't know what they were doing. They nearly threw the ball out of bounds. They're lucky to get it to that that position, but I think thought that like full court press that. Uh, Woodson put on for that last possession. That 
that made sure St. John's wasn't going to uh, end up getting the, you know, getting a good look because that was the best look they got and it was not a good look. Yeah, and Montez Mathis got ejected pretty early in the game, so I think that played a role too. But St. John's being able to show the show the fight that they did when they were down double digits is pretty encouraging. But Indiana, for me, I came out very impressed because they can really shoot the ball this year. Parker Stewart hit some good shots. Miller Kopp made some pretty timely shots. And Xavier Johnson, I mean, they've had Rob Finnessy running the point the past couple of years. But you could just tell the difference between Rob Finnessy being a defensive guy and Xavier Johnson being a guy that can go make plays at the end of the game. Xavier Johnson came up huge late. I think he's going to be a really valuable player for this Indiana team. He's played a lot of basketball. A lot of he started three years in the ACC. Like he started at the highest level you can play at. So I think he's going to be really good this season, and he could be the real difference maker for this Indiana team long term. Tamar Bates played well. This is a really good Indiana team. I had them in my Final Four when we did our preview podcast of the season. So I, I think Indiana is really good. Yeah, they're, they're a solid basketball team. I came away kind of impressed with Champagne. Like this was a kind of big time, you know. Assembly Hall is probably, I wouldn't say it's like up there with Allen Fieldhouse and Cameron Indoor, but it's like a top 10 arena in the sport. The lights were shining bright, and he showed up. He balled out. He had 32 in this game uh, and you know was big. And while St. John's doesn't end up with the win, like I think coming away from this game, like, all American talk should be, you know, given to Julian Champagne. You know, that's the, you know, and I, I would consider him like right now probably my early favorite for Big East play preseason, or I guess it's early season player of the year. I think I mm-hmm. voted for him preseason anyway, but yeah, you did. All right, so yeah, I'd, I'm sticking with the pick. I'm not changing it here. They'll probably give it to three different players because that's the Big East way, but uh, yeah, I, I would vote for Champagne right now. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I don't know how like he didn't get like some, he, he entered the draft and came back, so that tells me he wasn't getting any real like first round, early second round interest, and that seems crazy to me. I don't see how this guy wasn't drafted in the like top 40. Like, yeah. I think he's definitely, he's much better than his brother. They're different players, but champ, the, they're both champagnes. I almost said champagne. They, they have the same last name, of course, because they're twins. But uh, Julian at St. John's, he can really shoot the ball. Like That's probably the best part of his game. And Justin isn't a great shooter. He's more of a rebounder who plays really hard, good inside. Julian is a shooter. Like He shoots the ball really well at six foot eight. I want to say. Yeah, six foot eight, six foot eight, and he can really shoot the basketball. If he's not a first round pick next year, I'll be stunned. Like this guy has NBA talent written all over him. He's a bucket. Like you, yeah. I, 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 I know the NBA like it tends to focus on like trying to draft like situationally, and we need to get role players, not people who go out there and score thirty, but like. You you look at this guy, you say, this guy can go put 30 on you at any night. And, like, I, I think in the NBA, like, if you're, you know, late, you know, if you're, let's say, the Milwaukee Bucks or something, like, you want to draft this guy because, you know, when Giannis and Milton go out, 
this guy just comes in and scores 30, and it's like, oh, well, we don't even need to play our starters big-time minutes because this, like, I'd, I'd say it'd be very valuable, like, late first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Champagny is going to be one of the best players in the country. Uh, but he was pretty much, him and Steph Smith were the offense in this game. Posh Alexander struggled for him. Like, he's really good. He didn't play great. Six assists with five turnovers. Could have played a lot better. And obviously, I said Mathis got ejected, so he didn't play a whole lot. He only played 10 minutes. And then Tariq Coburn went over three from deep. I don't think Tariq Coburn and Montez Mathis and Aaron Wheeler, the guys they brought in, I don't think they're going to combine to do nothing very often. I think they're all really solid role players, and I think we'll see that. I think that's a big reason why they didn't win, because their role players didn't play great. But I think as we get later in the season, those guys uh, will play massive roles when it comes down to it. Yeah, I'd say at the end of the day, I think, one, just because the Big East has done so well in these Gavit games and early in this season, that the Big East is probably going to lead itself to like six or seven bids. But I think St. John's is going to be one of those six or seven teams that ends up being in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I agree with you for sure. All right, I guess kind of the worst performance of the Big East we haven't gotten into yet. It is uh, Michigan State just completely handled Butler. Uh, Max Christie came out on fire. He had a big uh, you know start to the game. Uh, Gabe Brown kind of closed out, ended up leading the team in scoring, but I didn't necessarily watch a ton of this game. I was kind of flipping between other games, uh, but yeah, Michigan State just controlled this game pretty much from uh, the opening tip. Yeah, I watched the first half of the game, and I'm like, all right, Michigan State's just the better team, and it's pretty clear that they were the better team, and they are the better team. I'm just not sure how good Butler is. They turned the ball over a ton. Uh, They've actually been pretty good shooting the ball from deep, but the turnovers are definitely a problem. And outside of, like, Chuck Harris, they just don't have a a lot of guys that, you know, scare you. Like, you don't have a guy that's going to, like, they don't have a guy that is an all- Big East caliber guy. They don't have a Champagny. Like, you have to game plan around Champagny. Champagny scares you. He's the kind of guy that can drop 30 any night. Butler doesn't have that. Yeah. I I guess, like, Chuck Harris could drop 30, but then, like... But he's the only guy. Yeah. Like, Aaron Thompson can't shoot the ball either. Like, they had a... He had, like, a wide-open look. Like, I get it, you're not a shooter, but at that point, just take it. Like, why not? Yeah. Then you've got the Bryces, who... Combined for zero points in this game. I think NZ got injured, but Bryce Golden. Yeah, NZ got hurt. Yeah, so they they combined 30 minutes, zero points, less than ideal. Tiger yeah, is decent off the bench with 15. But yeah. Like, yeah it, I'm selling. I, I bought a lot of Butler stock coming into the season. I'm selling a chunk of it. Not yeah, all, as did I. As did I. Uh, but, like, John Michael Malloy, 11 minutes, two rebounds, five fouls. Like, they, why, like, you don't have anybody else that you can give minutes to? Like, that that's part of, like, what concerns me. I get they're a little injured. Uh, Bo Hodges hasn't played yet this year. But, like, John Michael Malloy played 11 minutes and had five fouls. Like, that's just, I get, part of that's probably Bryce Enzi got hurt, but if Bryce Enzi's, like, I don't know what his injury is, but if it's anything long-term, Butler might be, like, the second-worst team 
in the conference, if not the worst. Like, this team, I was wrong on them. I'll say that I was wrong on Butler. Yeah. I mean, if I were kind of doing, redoing, like, my Big East rankings right now, I would have them ninth. Like, Mm -hmm. I still think DePaul, I still think Georgetown will be bigger cellar dwellers. Like, DePaul's going to fall off a cliff here. Uh, Georgetown stinks. Georgetown is terrible. Yeah, so I mean... They lost to Dartmouth. Yeah, so I mean, there's... Butler's not losing to Dartmouth. They'll, they'll, They'll be fine. They'll get their... They'll get... Five Big East wins. They'll probably beat Villanova because they always beat Villanova and uh, move on until next year, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the the top, like, six of the Big East is good, but once you're getting to the Georgetown, DePaul, Butler, I'd even put Providence in that conversation range. Creighton, I guess, we can kind of put in that range, I would say. They have upside, but I don't trust them a ton. Like, those five, I don't trust at all. But the other teams I like. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I would say, like a solid five in the NCAA tournament with Villanova, Seton Hall, Xavier, St. John's. Who's the fifth? Oh, UConn. UConn. Uh, And then you got, like, Marquette, probably at this point in the tournament. We'll see how that kind of plays out. I think Providence is – I'm a little higher on Providence, but, again, like, I'm not – I think they're, like, very bubblicious, like, they're bubble-bound. And then Creighton – the good news Creighton has is, like, as long as they avoid losing by games, like, they're going to have a chance to end up making the tournament because their schedule is terrible. Yeah, but at the same time, if you look at that and they don't do great in Big East play and they're, like – how many games did they play? 29. Ken Palm projects them to be 17 and 12. With their schedule, I can't imagine they're making the tournament like that. Like, they're going to have to be better in 17 and 12. Yeah. But, like, if they're – like, the, the, the theory behind Creighton making it is, like, they avoid taking any bad losses now, and then you just kind of hope the freshmen are better – Two months mm-hmm. from now than they are right now, because yeah, like right now they're will happen. not a tournament team at all. Yeah, like Ryan Nemhard, probably the best player on the team. He's been pretty great. He looks like one of the best freshmen in the country. He just put on a show this season. And you have one of your, your most experienced guy, Ryan Hawkins from Division Two level, has been solid. Ryan Kalkbrenner hasn't been too bad. Uh, Alex O'Connell's hit some shots occasionally. Arthur Kaluma, he's pretty good on the defensive end. Creighton, I'm not very in on, but, you know, I think they'll improve throughout the year. Yeah, and they got to play Nebraska in the Gavit games. They won because, I mean, Nebraska just, they suck. No Nebraska's dis- not good. Yeah, Nebraska's not good. They shot 38% from three and they lost. Like, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, you you look at this Nebraska team, it's like, Bryce McGowan's is now he had a bad game in this one, went three of ten. But Alonzo Verge, he he went five of fifteen. Like Alonzo Verge is a losing basketball player. Like you bring him in, your team is going to lose games because he's just going to chuck up shots that aren't good shots. He's a losing basketball player. Yeah, like he could definitely score the ball, but it's kind of like. 
kind of like what they had with Teddy Allen last year, but Teddy Allen's better. Like, they didn't win a ton of games, but Teddy Allen got buckets because that's what he does. But they just there's just not a ton of flow to the offense when you're driving to the basket with three dudes on you and getting blocked. Like, it's tough to win when you're with – when you're having someone that takes that many shots. I think that's the issue. Yeah. And they have two of the, like Bryce McGowan's a surefire NBA player. So you could live with him taking some of those shots and he doesn't take as many as Verge, but I I don't think you can really have two of those guys on the same team. That's kind of what they have. Yeah. Like, and then you got uh, Trey McGowan's getting injured. Hopefully he's Mm -hmm. okay. I think he'll be out like six weeks or something. I think I saw yeah, broken hand, right? Yeah. Like, C.J. Wilchers look pretty good. That's a good piece for the future. But it's just things that Nebraska are not going well under Fred Hoiberg. They're just they're just not going great. Lose to Western Illinois in the opener. Trailed Sam Houston State for most of the game. Ended up winning Creighton. They, they were in it for a minute, I guess, but they got outplayed the whole time. Now they have four games coming up. They should win Idaho State, Southern, Tennessee State, South Dakota, and they followed that up with five games. They're probably not going to win NC State, Indiana, Michigan, Auburn, Kansas State. So I, I guess like their hope to make the tournament isn't completely gone, but they need to win like all five of those games that are tough. It it's gone. Let's. I don't know that make, yet. They're not going to make it. I don't have them as a tournament team, but, like, eh, you never know. It's the Big Ten. Yeah, the, well, the Big Ten is g- going to be limited to, like, five bids now because they, they stink. But let's talk about a Big Ten team that hasn't impressed me this year. That's the Maryland Terrapins. They have not been good this year. They're 3-1. and one. They did just lose to George Mason, who's looked really good this season. They look like the third-best team in the A-10. I'd still put Richmond ahead of them. I would still put Richmond ahead of them. Okay. But I think probably, like, right now they're probably second. I still think Richmond's better, though. Because Dayton, I mean, they, they just haven't – they're not playing well. And VCU can't score. So the A-10 is kind of in a rough spot. Dayton's um, down there with, like, Fordham at this point. They're not there yet. Like, they're they're in a rough spot, but they're not there yet. But George Mason's looked really good. Deshaun Schwartz, that's a big-time player in the A-10, 24 points, six threes. Devon Cooper, who was at Moorhead State last year. Devontae Gaines, who was at Tennessee. Joshua Doru took a big jump from his sophomore season. So this is a really solid team, and maybe they could make the tournament. Who knows? But my question with Maryland is the duo of Eric Ayala and Fats Russell just is not shooting the ball well at all. Like, Russell shot it once from three in his first two games, and he made it. It was that dagger three against George Washington, put the game away. They've combined to shoot 12 for 44 from three this year. Yeah, I think Fats Russell is like the – he's like the worst version of Remy Martin where, like, in two, like, I, I don't think uh, Maryland has, like, backup options beyond Fats Russell where he's, like – he he knows what his reputation is. So, like, early this season he's kind of been like, okay, I'm going to – pass only, but then he's not shooting it, you know, and then he sh- when he does shoot, he's shooting bad shots, and it's, like, he has no kind of flow with the within the offense. Eric Ayala's kind of, like, having to, like, they're both kind of, like, 
okay, on this possession, I'm the point guard, this possession, you're the point guard, it's kind of like switch off. Like, it's, it's, I mean, it's early in the season, so you're going to get, you know, you're not going to be in, like, full swing effect, but, uh, yeah, Ayala was okay in this game. Dante Scott was good. Uh, Wahab didn't really have his biggest game, but they didn't also get to him a ton. He was also in foul trouble, but, uh, yeah, George Mason, though, I, I was impressed with this team. I've been impressed with this team, uh, throughout the season. They opened the season by kind of stomping Stony Brook, and this was kind of a Stony Brook team that we thought would be pretty good, and they just blew them out of the gym, and, you know, Deshaun Swartz was a perfect kind of transfer addition. He's come from Colorado where he was kind of like the number two option behind McKinley Wright and being like that, you know, secondary scorer. And he's taken on that bigger role and he's excelling in it. 24 points in this game. Devontae Gaines, now that he's kind of like, he never really was able to get minutes at Tennessee, he, but he's a very good player. And, you know, he's stepping up. Devon Cooper coming in has been good. Josh Duro's a really good player, and like Kim English to get this buy-in already. Like this, this shows uh, one that Missouri should hire him after they fire Quanzo Martin after the season. Uh, but two, just how good of a basketball coach he is. Yeah, I've been very impressed by what Kim English has been able to accomplish in such a short time. He's a really young head coach. wasn't He wasn't. He was in college playing not that long ago. Like this is a guy that's really young. And I think he has a very bright future in the industry. George Mason is off to a great start. And I think it'd be a pretty cool story to see them continue winning big-time games. Yeah, and this this year's NCAA tournament will mark when Missouri lost to Norfolk State, uh, mm. which was Kim English's last game. Kyle O'Quinn yeah. went off for Norfolk State. Incredible performance. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh Biggest kind of, not really upset, it was, you know, billed to be a close game, but, like, the biggest kind of, like, surprising, like, wait, what was the score of this game? BYU just completely mm-hmm. obliterates uh, Oregon. Uh, I think that, that was on Tuesday. Try and pull it up here. But, yeah, Tuesday night, 81 to 49. Yeah, just utter blowout. I think, like, one of the worst losses in – uh, Oregon basketball history, like it was an incredible win for uh, BYU. I think with the backcourt, like Tejon Lucas has paired very nicely alongside Alex Barcelo. They kind of feed off each other pretty well. And then you have like this, you know, switchability kind of, uh, you know, front court. This is a really good BYU team. I, I do have some questions with Oregon, but I mean, the the big takeaway is, like, BYU might be, like, a Final Four contender. Yeah, I agree. This is a really good BYU team. Caleb Lohner is a really good player. He didn't do a whole lot in this game. Uh, he only had two points. Did he get hurt? I don't remember him getting hurt, but he only played 13 minutes. But, uh, yeah, he didn't play a whole lot, but he's a really good player. Gavin Baxter, he, he's solid. Like, he's healthy, and he looks solid. He's a good defender. And him with Boost Traore, the freshman, six foot six, two hundred fifty pounds, but he's super strong and has a wingspan over seven foot. So those two, they're splitting minutes at the five, but Traore looks fantastic. He finishes everything at the rim, blocks shots, defends hard, and great rebounder. I think he's going to be a great piece in the future. 
Then he has some good bench players with Spencer Johnson, Seneca Knight, and Trevin Nell as guys who can get buckets off the bench. And then, of course, you have Alex Barcelo, who's one of the best guards in the country. Just a fantastic player. It's been really cool seeing coming from, like, the 11th man of Arizona to being one of the best guards in the country has been quite the story to watch for Alex Barcelo. Definitely hope he continues being one of the best players in the country. And I, I think he's the kind of guy that could really make a name for himself in the NCAA tournament. But for Oregon, they just got down and they couldn't come back. I mean, that's kind of what it came down to. They shot the ball three for 14 from deep. BYU was defending them really tough. No shots came easy. And they went on a little bit of a run at the beginning of the second half. But it, all those shots were contested. Like, they were driving the basket one-on-one contested. If those are going to go in, I think BYU lives with that, and some of them did go in. They weren't creating open shots with good ball movement. They just weren't. Uh, they were taking tough shots, and they were making some of them. But just just a rough night for the Ducks. I'm not concerned about them. I think they'll be just fine. It was just a bad game. Yeah. That's where, like, I I really like this kind of small ball starting five. But I I have a questions with the bench. Like, Nefali Dante – has never really turned into the prospect we thought. Frank, he, he just came back, though. He hasn't played yeah. a whole lot. Like, he's been injured. I think he's going to be fine in the long run. Frank Kepning, like, he's not great. Nathan Biddle doesn't look ready. And, like, th- that's kind of like their bench. So, like, while you have this starting five that I think really works well together, like, if there's any sort of foul trouble, which I guess there's probably not going to be a ton with this team, the guards are also like you have six two, six three. You know, I guess Will Richardson's six five. So, but like I don't know, it's one kind of a smallish starting five to begin with, and then two like you you don't back that up with enough depth. Like I would like for this Oregon team to have like one or two more, you know wings or guards coming off the bench that you can kind of rely on. And this Oregon team just kind of doesn't have that right now. Yeah, and Quincy Guerrier hasn't been very good this year. Eight points per game, seven rebounds, but only shooting 38% from the field and 28% from deep. I think once Quincy Guerrier gets it going, which I think he will get it going, I think Oregon will be fine. I think he's a really key player to what they do, though. I, I think they need him to be good, and I think he will be good. Yeah. I, I, hey, as mentioned, like, I, I trust the starting five. I think they're going to get better throughout the season. You know, and it, this, you know, this is just a kind of bad loss and it was going downhill. And two, like, you know, once it was getting out of hand, like, there, there's not, like, you, you, the issue, I guess, Oregon might have is like, once the starting five looked like it couldn't really have it or didn't have it this game, like the bench was giving them absolutely nothing. They got, I guess, Nefali Dante scored four points off the bench, which is, if if you score six points, come out the bench. Like, that's a, that's not a good bench production. And that's, that's where I think I am going to hold up on, like, buying into any, like, Oregon Final Four stock. I think they can win a couple games in the NCAA tournament, but eventually, like, they're going to get, you know, exposed, you know, whether it's, like, foul trouble or whether it's, like, you know, you need to, you know, get some bench production because your starting five's not producing. Like, there's going to come a point in the NCAA tournament where 
they're going to need bench pieces. I don't think Oregon has it. Yeah, that, that's fair. Nate Biddle just hasn't done a whole lot this year. He hasn't scored this year. It doesn't look like he's recorded any stat. He's played four minutes per game. He's played 14 total minutes, and he hasn't really done anything. He has five fouls. That's pretty much his only stat. So it's probably going to take some time for him to be a real contributor. But if you can get him as a guy that's a contributor off the bench, I think that would go a long way. But I'm with you. The bench is not very good, but the starting five could be really good. So I don't know what that makes for the ceiling of this team, but if they get hot in the tournament, they could definitely rattle off some wins. Yeah. Speaking of a team with a terrible bench, that is the Virginia Cavaliers. Now, also, the Virginia Cavaliers don't have... Yeah, their starting five is not very good either. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not like uh, they're, you know, Virginia's starting Oregon starting five. Like, it's it's pretty rough. Like, Jane Gardner didn't have a great game. Uh, Kihei Clark continues to look like a role player who only does well when he has great players next to him, which he does not have this year. Well, well, with that, with that though, I think Kihei Clark is—he's not like the point guard that's gonna go get buckets. Like I think, like I, I agree with what you're saying, but I think he's a valuable point guard when you have talent around him for sure. Yeah, but you don't have—you don't have Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome. You don't even have like Mama D D Kite, G A Huff, Sam Hauser. Like you don't even have that type of talent. Jay Huff would look like Wilt Chamberlain on this Virginia team. Like, they, they could use him real bad right now because he'd be averaging, like, 35 a game probably. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's quite rough for Virginia. And look, I, I think Houston's a good team. Uh, they, they're going to be, you know, either one or two in the American when all is said and done. Uh, it's either them or Memphis is going to win the AAC. But this didn't look like a fair fight from the beginning. Uh, you know, I think you could see like at the under four timeout that Houston's just a better b- basketball team, and you know, yeah, Ky- Kyler Edwards, Marcus Sasser both had good games, but it's not even like Houston did anything necessarily that stands out. I guess they they shot fifty five percent from three, which is maybe a little bit better, but you know, if they shoot. they still win this game by double figures. So it's – Houston's just a better team, and they won this game handily. Yeah, Virginia's offense is just a complete disaster. They're turning the ball over the most that they've turned it over in the Tony Bennett era. And given it's been three games, that can change. But it's been rough. They turned it over 17 times in this one. When you play as slow as they do, if you're turning the ball over that much with the slowest-paced team in the country – if you dig yourself any kind of hole, you can't get out of it because you're giving away possessions. And there was like four or five shot clock violations in the second half for Virginia. They just can't get any kind of offense going. Armand Franklin is the only reliable shooter on the roster, and he went over four in this game. He hasn't been very good this year. Cody Statman went two for three. Maybe he can get it going a little bit. But I'm at the point where I'm like, all right. Well, why don't you just give your two international freshmen, Tane Murray and Igor Milicic, more of a chance it's not garbage time? Because what do you really have to lose at this point? Because clearly the offense, I don't think it's going to turn around. I just don't think their offense is good. Caden Shedrick and Francisco Cafaro played together like 15 minutes of the game. That's just not going to work very often at all because they're both pretty much the same guy. They defend, they rebound, and they set screens, but they're not going to do much on the offensive end. But 
if you bring in Milicic, who can handle the ball, he can shoot, he can do a lot of things well. He's different than those guys, six foot ten, two twenty, but he can actually shoot the ball and he can actually score. So I think if you play a guy like him with Tane Murray, who can really shoot the ball from outside, he just hasn't really had the opportunity to show it yet because he hasn't played a whole lot. That can make the offense better, but that's the only hope I have for this offense because I can't see a world where it gets better if those two guys aren't being like legit starters on the team. Yeah, I I don't have much hope for the offense. So yeah, I mean, wh- why not? Where you have they, to lose more back? They, they have to hit the portal. They have to hit the portal. They have to get guys, and they did that last year. They had Sam Hauser, Trey Murphy. Both are currently in the NBA. Like they got really good players from the portal. They only got one guy from the portal this year, Armand Franklin, which is a good add. Or they got two. They got Jaden Gardner, too, but he's also not a shooter. So those are two key contributors, but I think you need to get, like, four or five guys from the portal. Like, get some high-level guys from the portal, and I don't doubt that Virginia could get them. They won a national championship recently. Like, I think Virginia could definitely get some really good players from the transfer portal, and I think that's what we're going to have to see them do. Yeah. And – they 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 need to improve kind of the freshman talent. Like even like Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome, like even as freshmen, they look like they could come in. Like they they didn't necessarily show it day one, but like they had their moments early on in the season. And like maybe we'll get that from a you know Igor Milicic or Tane Murray, where they're like all of a sudden playing good, but they need to get, like, some, you know, impact freshmen as well, and it's, I think it's going to be, like, a two-year process before this Virginia team can get back to a position where they're able to, like, contend for making a Final Four, like, I don't think even next year they're going to be there, but you just get, I think recruiting is going to be big, hitting the portal this year is going to be big, and just getting some, like, shot creation is going to be a huge thing for them. Yeah, and, you know, they have a really good class coming in next year. They currently have the 11th-ranked recruiting class, and most of the top players in next year's class are already committed. Like, there's not a lot of guys that haven't committed. Maybe some reclassifications we could see. But Isaac Trout, he's a top 50 guy, four-star recruit. He's coming in. Isaac McNeely, top 60 player. Leon Boyd, a top Leon, – Leon Bond, I mean, a top 60 player. Not Leon Boyd. But the, you know, those are they have four four star guys. Like let's see what they end up being. I don't know a whole lot about any of them right now. I haven't really studied into twenty twenty two prospects a whole lot yet. But we'll see what these guys end up being. If they're good, maybe Virginia will be good. But uh, Kihei Clark, what does he do after the season? He could he could leave, go play professionally somewhere. I don't know. I, I just I just don't know where I sit on the future of Virginia because Tony Bennett's an amazing coach. But you just got to have better players. That's yeah. what it comes down to. All right. Next up, we have big upset as Samford takes down Oregon State uh, earlier, just before we're recording this. Uh, big win for Samford. And they, they look mm-hmm. like, I mean, the SoCon looks very good to start the season. You obviously have Chattanooga and Furman kind of leading that. But Samford, another team looking very good for this SoCon. Yeah, I like this Sanford team quite a lot. If you listen to our SoCon podcast breakdown, I said they could be the sleeper team in the SoCon, and they go into Corvallis, who the Oregon State should never have been 
a top five ranked team in the Pac-12 preseason poll. They're currently one in three. Not off to a great start following their final four. But Quest Lover is one of the best players in the SoCon already. He has been fantastic coming in from Florida. He had 24 points against San Francisco the other day. He had 16 and nine assists in this game. Really quick guard, can create shots. He defends. He's a great playmaker. He's going to be a really good player for Sanford in the future. Jermaine Marshall has been a really solid sophomore for him. And then today, Jaden Campbell, who was a star Juco player, he really shined, led the team in scoring. Wesley Cardit was the top recruit in program history. And Cooper Kafis has been very good. Like, he's been a very solid shooter coming in from Loyola Chicago. They have a lot of pieces. They did a great job hitting the transfer portal. I think they have a very bright future. And if they won the SOCON, it wouldn't surprise me. I still think Furman and Chattanooga are clearly the top two. But there's enough talent on this team to where if they got hot in the SOCON tournament, they could win it. Yeah, and then Furman will get in as the at-large. Three-bit SOCON. Get Chattanooga in there, too. All right, three-bit SOCON. Yeah, good good one for Sanford. I do think from Oregon State, it's like... Yikes. This is a rough start to the season, because, like, this is probably not even their worst performance. Like, they went... They they had a two-game road trip, Iowa State at Tulsa, lose both those, like... Iowa State was picked dead last in the Big 12. And, and Tulsa just lost to Air Force the yeah, other day. So, like this, this might have been one of Oregon State's better performances, and they'd still lose to Sanford. And, you know, I, I know Wayne Tinkle and Oregon State, they make the Elite Eight, but, I mean, that that is one looking very – fluky it, it was very fluky because like if Jules Bernard makes two of two free throws Oregon State's losing and Wayne Tinkle might have you know been fired whether it would be last year or if they start the way they have this season Wayne Tinkle certainly would be getting ready to be fired but here here he is he's he's there till 2027 now so Good job. Look, Wayne, Wayne Tinkle deserved the extension for what he was able to do last year. I, no question about that. I think Wayne Tinkle is a pretty good coach. But this team just, you know, they did make the Elite Eight. You're right. We we did talk about that quite a lot. I feel like everybody did that Oregon State was in the Elite Eight. But it's not like they returned everybody from that team. They returned Warth Elatiche. They returned Maurice Kalou. They returned Gianni Hunt. They returned Jared Lucas. Roman Silva only played two minutes today, so he's not doing a whole lot for him right now. But Ethan Thompson was by far the best player on the team. He's not there anymore. And Zach Reichel, another double-digit scorer, also gone. So it's not like they return everybody. It would have been different if they did, but they don't. They lost their best player. So that's part of why I wasn't in on this Oregon State team to begin with. They needed Jared Lucas to really be like a 20-point-per-game guy for me to think they're a legit contender. And he hasn't been that. So I, I just, yeah, the Oregon State's not an NCAA tournament team. I don't really think that's much of a debate at this point. I can't see a way they make the tournament unless they win the Pac-12 tournament again. But they just have looked very unimpressive this year. And their one win, they trailed Portland State for a lot of that game. Like, they have not looked good in any game this year. Yeah. Uh, one more, San Diego State. Escapes with a 65-63 win against Arizona State. We were kind of watching that just before we got on to the podcast here. I thought Arizona State put a really good effort together. They were playing without their best player, Marcus Bagley, and they were still able to 
have a shot to win ultimately doesn't drop, but I think Arizona State looking a little bit better, uh, but San Diego State, I mean, I still think Colorado State's the team to beat in the Mountain West, but San Diego State's going to be in the NCAA tournament as well. Yeah, Colorado State, or not Colorado State, they didn't play today. Uh, San Diego State, they escaped with one for sure because they didn't play very well. They played pretty good on the defensive end, but offense was a struggle once again, only 6 for 21 from deep. They missed nine free throws, and Matt Bradley at 12 points. He missed four free throws and went three of 10 for, from the field. More often than not, if Matt Bradley's playing like that, they're probably going to lose. But I also don't think Matt Bradley's going to play like that very often. So I think what Brian Dutcher has been able to create there is awesome. I think they're going to continue being really solid. I think they're an NCAA tournament team. And Matt Bradley is going to play a lot better than this more often than not. San Diego State, they'll, they'll get it going for sure. Offensively, even if they're not an elite offensive team, like with Malachi Flynn and Matt Mitchell and Jordan Shackle, Yanni Wetzel, those guys are great. They don't have those guys anymore, but they'll be an elite defensive unit without, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, I guess Washington lost to Wyoming. I mean, it, that's not even an upset. Like, Wyoming was like a one-point underdog. I think that's the, the sadder part of all of this. Yeah. Second straight week, we had a Washington update on the podcast. So Yeah, that might be the last Washington update of the year because they – yikes. I mean, they have six very losable games coming up. They play George Mason uh, Monday probably going to lose. They play South Dakota State. Can't imagine they're going to win that one. They play Nevada. I mean, I can't. Nevada struggled, but I can't imagine they're going to win that one. Maybe they beat Winthrop. They haven't looked so good this year. And then they play Arizona, UCLA, and Gonzaga. So, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Washington's going to miss the NCAA tournament this season. Yeah, I, I, I'm going. You know, this is one of the hotter takes of the year. I think I'm going to join you though on that take. It's it's pretty hot though. But I, I don't know if Mike Hopkins is going to be the coach at Washington very long. I can't imagine that's going to be the case, considering how much of a struggle it's been the past since the calendar flipped to 2020. It's just been a complete disaster. So yeah, I can't imagine Washington's going to do a whole lot this season. They're going to be the worst team in the Pac-12. So yeah. Maybe. I mean, I mean, Cal's there too. Cal's bad. Cal's bad. Cal's bad, but are we sure that they're worse in Washington? I'm not sure at this point. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's all you need to know. It's going to be a close race. Washington hasn't looked good in any game this year. Like, they just haven't. That's the craziest thing about it. Their, their effective field goal percentage on Ken Palm, 36. 0.8%. That's good for 348th in the country. And I'm not very smart, but that's bottom 10 in the country if my math serves me correctly. It is bottom 10. It is 10th worst in college basketball. It's like, I mean, let, let me pull it up. Like, let me let me name the teams that are right in the mix with them there. Um, let's see. Let me see. Actually, right now, Howard has the best effective field goal percentage in the country. Good good for Howard. Okay, so here is the bottom 10. Starting at bottom, UT Rio Grande Valley, Western Michigan, who just lost to Saginaw Valley State today, Fairleigh Dickinson, Arkansas State, Houston Baptist, Mississippi Valley State, Delaware State, Southern Miss, UMBC, Coastal Carolina, Washington, 
And then the five teams above Washington, Maine, Bradford, McNeese State, North Alabama, and Kennesaw State. Yeah, that's not a great company to be in. No. Uh, the good news is Washington State looks good. Yeah, they're clearly the best team in the state of Washington, I would say. Like, they played UC Santa Barbara. They won by eight. That isn't indicative of how one-sided that game was. UC Santa Barbara made a run late. That was Washington State's game the entire way. They play great defense. The metrics don't love their defense. They're only 60th in Ken Palm's defense. They're better defense and 60th best in the in the country. I definitely don't think they're the – yeah, they're like top 30 probably defensively in my mind. I think that's probably where they'll end up. They have scores with Tyrell Roberts and Michael Flowers, Noah Williams, and then they have a lot of good pieces. They have a lot of size. The guy I'd like to see get more minutes is Andre Yakimovsky. He just makes plays really solid shooter, can make plays on the ball, he defends. I'd like to see him get more minutes, but we'll see what ends up happening. Yeah, I mean, Washington State, I, I think they're going to make the NCAA tournament. I'm, I think they will, too. Yeah, like, that's something I've felt comfortable with for a while. And, like, it's because this is a talented team, for sure. But Kyle Smith is a really good coach, a really, really good coach. Yeah. He's fantastic. Like, that was such a home run hire. Like, I'm not sure I'm not sure how the fan base liked the hire. Like, maybe they liked it. I don't know Washington State fans very well. But I can't imagine they could have made a better hire. I don't, I don't know if Washington State fans really cared about – maybe they they probably cared, but they were like, hey, we'll see what happens. Uh, the, the last guy was supposed to be decent, and he wasn't. So, but yeah, he's fantastic. And there's legitimate NBA talent on this team. Like, there's three guys that will play in the NBA on this team. You have Muhammad Gee, you have Noah Williams, and you have F.A. Abigidi. Two of those guys will get drafted at some point with Gee and Abigidi. Williams maybe gets drafted at some point with his 3 and D ability, and he can play some secondary point guard if you need him to. But he'll play in the NBA at some point. Like, I don't know if he'll get drafted, but he's going to be a two-way contract kind of guy. So there's three legitimate NBA players on the roster. That That's that's a talented team. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I guess what we we need to get into our bracket picks. We're going to hold off on the other uh, selections just because conference championship. We, I guess we can do, like, for the big Gonzaga-UCLA game, we can do, like, spread picks and that, but... I mean, just for yeah. kind of these bracket picks, I think it's kind of fun to just do, you know, make the bracket selections and then, uh, two would, yeah, I mean, that's, and part of it is we don't know the lines for hypothetical matchups either. So there we go. Uh, so for the big one though of this weekend, it is Villanova against Tennessee, Purdue against North Carolina in the Hall of Fame Classic. Uh, this, these are going to be two fantastic matchups. You have Villanova come off a tough loss to UCLA against the Tennessee team that has impressed early in the season. Uh, I'm going with Villanova to advance. I just think the experience will be there. They also have the kind of home court advantage with it being in Massachusetts, but that should be a good game. 
Yeah, give me Villanova. I like them a lot. Colin Gillespie, Justin Moore, Jermaine Samuels has looked good. And Brandon Slater has just taken a massive jump this season. I think he's really changed the ceiling of this Villanova team. They've always been a contender for Final Four, but like this is a legitimate title contender with how good Brandon Slater has become. Give me Villanova. Yeah, Slater's definitely – this came out of nowhere. Him being he's a, always been like a solid defender, but he's become like a knockdown shooter. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. All right. Next game, it is Purdue against North Carolina. Purdue's certainly impressed early in this season. Grand, they haven't played the best of competition, but they're blowing them out. And Zach Eady appears to be uh, very legit. He's very good. And yeah, I'm going to go with Purdue to win this game. Uh, I think North Carolina, they'll, they'll make it high scoring. I, I think Caleb Love will outscore Jay Nivey, hot take from this game, but mm. Purdue will win the basketball game. Yeah, Ivy hasn't been great this year. He struggled shooting the ball still. I'd like to see him take a, take, take a step forward. I still think he could be the conference player of the year. Maybe, probably not, but maybe. Uh, Zach Eady maybe will end up being in that conversation for conference player of the year. He's been fantastic. And, oh, yeah, when he's not on the court, you get Travion Williams, who's a double-double threat every single night. You have Sasha Stefanovic, who's shooting 60% from three. You have Isaiah Thompson, who's shooting 46% from three. Brandon Newman shooting almost 50% from three. They have a lot of guys that are playing very well right now. They have the best big-man duo in the country, even though they don't play together. And good thing they don't, because that definitely would not work. But North Carolina has been a complete disaster on the defensive end this year. They allowed almost 70 points to Loyola, Maryland, and then they allowed 87 to Brown and 83 to Charleston. If they're going to play defense like that against one of the best offensive units in the country, they're going to lose by 20. So give me Purdue. Yeah, I think they'll they'll stay in this because the offense has been also very good. Like Caleb Love has clearly taken the step forward that it was expected. North Carolina is playing like at a – extremely high tempo, but yeah, Purdue, I think, is the clear pick. Third place game, I will take North Carolina to beat Tennessee. I just, I, I kind of trust Caleb Love with the experience. I like the front court that North Carolina has, so I'll go with North Carolina over Tennessee, and uh, you're, I guess we have the same third place game, so who's your third? Yeah, North Carolina, Tennessee. Give me Tennessee, Kennedy Chandler. Has looked really impressive this season. Justin Powell's a good player. Uh, Olivier Camwa has been really good this year. Six foot eight junior. He's really impressed. Josiah James hasn't done a ton. I'd like to see Justin Powell get a little more involved in the offense. And John Fulkerson, he's only played one of the two games. They've had like, they haven't played in like a week. They haven't played since Sunday. So they're going to go six days of that playing. Uh, before they meet Villanova, let's see how John Fulkerson looked in that uh, in both games. I think they'll definitely need him to be good against both teams, but especially against North Carolina. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with Tennessee. All right, and championship game Villanova against Purdue. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go with Villanova. I think they'll kind of like out experience out tough Purdue. Uh, but I don't have a great feel for this game. I do think mm-hmm. that it'll be like one of those fantastic championship game matchups that's like going to be must watch. And 
it'll, it'll be like a what kind of feels like that Villanova UCLA type of game. But I'm gonna go Nova to escape with a win. I'm going to Villanova too for one reason. That reason is because the way they space the floor, they take a lot of threes, run five out offense, move the ball really well. That means that Travion Williams or Zach Eady, whichever one's on the floor, will have to be guarding that perimeter more often than not. Uh, even Eric Dixon can shoot the three a little bit, but they still run five out offense most of the time, set a lot of ball screen. So I think that's going to be a problem for Zach Eady and Travion Williams guarding that far away from the basket. So I think Villanova is going to be able to exploit that and come away with the victory here. All right. We both have Villanova. Uh, we both have Purdue being the second place team, different third place, but yeah, I mean, that's going to be big tournament of the weekend. We've also got the Charleston Classic. The first games have gotten under, uh, way. We have the final four though, St. Bonaventure against Clemson, West Virginia against Marquette. First game here, I'm going St. Bonaventure. I think, you know, they're going to make this a little bit closer than what it should be. I think St. Bonaventure probably should win this game handily. I think it'll be kind of like a two-possession game in the final minute, but I'll go with St. Bonaventure to kind of escape with the win here. Yeah, I'm going to St. Bonaventure too, but shout-out to Clemson. They've looked really impressive this year. They look like a more complete team, even though Amir Sims is gone. P.J. Hall's taking a big jump. Hunter Tyson looks really good next to P.J. Hall and their guard trio of Alamir Dawes, David Collins, who's a really tough defender, and Nick Honor has really been good. So I think Clemson could end up being in the NCAA tournament this season with how good they've looked, but I think St. Bonaventure is just a little bit better. Yeah, I I, I agree on that. And then the nightcap, it is West Virginia against Marquette. This could be a kind of interesting matchup. I think West Virginia's, you know, they're obviously known for their defense. They're, they're an offensive team. Like Sean McNeil, Taz Sherman are just bucket fillers. Uh, and obviously with Marquette, the, you know, this is going to be a tough defensive team. I'm going to go with West Virginia to win this game in advance. Uh, but it, it should be a very close competitive matchup. Yeah, but that's a tough one. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Marquette. I just think they're a little bit better. Taz Sherman, like you said, and Sean McNeil, they're the bucket getters on the team. But Marquette, will they be able to turn them over? I don't know. I think I think we're going to see a lot of turnovers on both sides. I think that's what we're going to see. Like, I don't have a great feel for this game because of that. Like, I don't think we'll see a ton of scoring, but we're going to see a lot of running in transition off turnovers. I think that's what we're mostly going to see. I think Marquette's a little bit of a better shooting team. Justin Lewis made five threes in the game today as we're recording this. Daryl Morcel looked awesome. Give me Marquette, but I think it'll be close. It'll be another ugly game, which you which you could expect Marquette to play a lot of this season. Yeah. And then championship, or I guess third place, I will take Clemson over Marquette. I just think the the kind of development they've had has been kind of impressive. And I think Marquette kind of playing a lot of games all at once will eventually be a little bit tired. So I'll go Clemson to beat Marquette in the third. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna go with Clemson over West Virginia for mine. 
I like what Clemson's done. Like I said, I think they'll be able to shoot the ball pretty well, and they'll be able to defend the big two for West Virginia pretty well. All right, then championship. I have St. Bonaventure being West Virginia. I think the experience you have with this team, uh, that's a really good starting five. You have uh, Osan, Asunayi, just blocking everything down low. He was big in this game against Boise State. I think West Virginia will give him a good test, but I think St. Bonaventure will respond and uh, ultimately win the championship. Yeah, I'm with you. St. Bonaventure is really good. They haven't shot the ball well at all this year. They went 9 for 20. No, that was Boise State. Boise State went 9 for 26. St. Bonaventure went 4 for 17, and they still won the game. They're super experienced, like you said. Osun, Oshuna, he's great. Kyle Lofton, really steady point guard, makes a lot of plays, just a really good player. Jaron Holmes and Dom Welch are two shooters. Welch struggled today against Boise State, but I think they'll be better in the future. And I think that they're not they're not going to be a team that turns the ball over. That's not what they do. They're experienced. They're one of the more experienced starting fives in the country. They're starting five seniors. They're not going to turn the ball over. They, they're going to be able to be careful with the ball, and they're going to be able to score and defend. Give me St. Bonaventure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, St. Bonaventure, we both like them to end up winning this. Win the Charleston Classic. Congratulations. Yeah, and it's, it's definitely one of the, uh, way too early tournaments that you can win. Yeah, I mean, look at Minnesota winning the Asheville Invitational or whatever it's called. Good for them. Yeah, yeah they, they, you cannot take away that they are the inaugural Asheville champions. Like, did they did they beat Princeton and did they beat Western Kentucky? Yeah, they did. But yeah. you know what? That means that they're Asheville champions. Yeah. Will they win another kind of championship this year? Absolutely not. But the Asheville championship is theirs. Yeah. It it's it's what you come to Minnesota to do. It's to win you know big time tournaments like the Asheville tournament. I'm gonna be honest. I'm shocked they won either of those games. I thought they were going to lose both of them, but good for them. Yeah. They they have like the they have a good enough like starting five that they're able to like compete in games. But, but when they, you get to Big 10 play, they're going to lose by 50 to some of these teams. Yeah, just cuz they're going to be well, one, they're going to be exhausted by the time they get to Big 10 play cuz they only have like six guys who can actually play minutes without looking completely terrible, but yeah. They're Asheville champions. That's all that matters. Yeah, I mean, they won a championship. Yeah. Alright, uh, last one, it is the Roman championship. Um, yeah, I mean, th- this is, these are some, uh, sexy matchups here. We've got Arizona against Wichita State, Michigan against U- UNLV, uh, I think it's a pretty clear Michigan against Arizona title game. I assume. Let's just skip to that. Yeah, let's let's just skip to that. I mean, Arizona and Wichita State, I think, could be kind of a competitive game. Wichita State has not looked good at all this year. No, but like they 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 have the ability to like stay in the game. But I think Michigan probably wins by like twenty five, whereas Arizona wins by like twelve. That's kind of where I'm. The spread's minus nine. Like, I think Arizona covers. Tyson Etienne is shooting 16% from three this year. So maybe he goes, that goes up and Wichita State covers, but 
They're going to need him to play like the AAC player of the year if they're going to win either of these games. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's Arizona against Michigan. I'm going to go with Michigan to win this. I think hmm. coming off a you know tough loss against Seton Hall, they're going to be kind of extra motivated, extra focused. And this is still a team, I think, at the end of the day, is like a top 10 team. So I'm going to go with Michigan to beat Arizona in the uh, championship game. But it'll be a close game, be competitive, you know, fight. I'm going to go Michigan 75 to 70. Give me the Wildcats to beat Michigan. I think they're a really good team. I've said they're a dark horse Final Four team for me. If the pieces click in the upside – ends up working out. Just look at what they've done this year. Again, it's not against the greatest of opponents. They played Northern Arizona, UT Rio Grande Valley, North Dakota State, who's actually a really good team in the Summit League. I like North Dakota State a lot, and they could be in the NCAA tournament this season if they win the Summit League, which is certainly possible. But they beat UT Rio Grande Valley by 54. They beat Northern Arizona by 39, and they beat North Dakota State by 42. So they haven't had a close game. They've just destroyed everybody. Azulas Tubelis, I think, can have a big game. The big question is, how will they be able to defend Hunter Dickinson? And, well, Christian Coloco will do that, and he's a great defender. Christian Coloco could shut down Hunter Dickinson. Can Benedict Matherin get it going? He hasn't shot the ball well this year. Kirk Kreese is shooting 45% from deep. You have Dalen Terry, who's a great defender in guard one through four. You probably put him on the – best perimeter player on the other team, so he's probably defending Devontae Jones and could give Devontae Jones some problems. I think Arizona is a tough matchup for Michigan. I think Arizona wins. All right. There we go. So we've got, I think, two chalky picks, but you've you've got Arizona. I've got Michigan. I guess I'm going all chalk with these. But, yeah, I mean, early season, tournament season, is it's the best time of year. We'll certainly – you know, I'd, kind of on the next podcast, we'll get into, I guess, picking all the rest of the early season tournaments, which are going to be, I, I think we're going to have to make a list of which ones we actually talk about, because there, there's, there's, there's so many. I mean, yeah. not all of them can be the Charleston Classic and Asheville Invitational and be just absolute great products, you know? Yeah. I mean, we, we didn't even touch on the Myrtle Beach Invitational. Oh, man. Yeah, the Myrtle Beach, Myrtle Beach Invitational. Yeah. Uh, who's in that? I honestly forgot already. I know I watched, I watched the games. I just don't remember who was in it. I, I just, I, it was, oh, that, that's Utah Penn, State. Yeah, that's Penn, Utah State, uh, Oklahoma and East Carolina. East Carolina almost beat Oklahoma. That field is not good. Like that, that's a bad multi-team event. That's why we're not predicting it. But, but the battle for Atlantis, the battle for Atlantis, that's going to be fun. Battle for Atlantis, Maui Invitational. Uh, uh, there's another good one. ESPN Events Invitational. Mm, that's the one with Alabama and Iona. Yeah. Uh, Miami, Dayton. Not Kansas so good. First Drake. Ooh, Belmont's in it too, right? Belmont. It's yes, crazy how Dayton's the worst team in that multi-team event. Battle for Atlanta. Michigan State, Loyola, Chicago to open Battle for Atlantis. That's Give me Ramblers. That'll be a good game. 
That, that's actually an interesting storyline. Drew Valentine, he's from Michigan. His brother won National Player of the Year at Michigan State. Like that, that's a that's a fun storyline. Like I wonder, I wonder what Denzel Valentine's rooting for in that game. If he wants his brother to win that game as the head coach of Loyola Chicago, or if he wants his alma mater to win. I would tend to think probably your brother, but that's what I think, right? Like I, I don't, I I don't have, uh, I I don't have a brother, especially one who coaches college basketball. But if I did, I would probably, and I also didn't go to Michigan State. Uh, but if I if those were my scenarios, I would probably lean with family, right? That's what you. That's what I would probably do. Nit season, yeah, I would I would do that. Nit season tip off. It's only four teams, but Memphis, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Memphis, right? Yeah. Landers Nolly, the Landers Nolly Invitational. Yeah, and then you've got uh, winner gets Xavier I- Iowa State, so Xavier. Hold on, Iowa State, not that bad. They're not that bad. Tyrese Hunter, big fan. A lot of Isaiah Miller in his game. I like I like Tyrese Hunter a lot. They're not bad. They're not as bad they're, as I they're not. Yeah, they they were terrible last year. They've already surpassed last year's season win total. That's good. That's good. That's great. They're it's shooting twenty two. They're shooting twenty two percent from three. That's not great. Not great. That also means that. Their last season's win total was so terrible that they're already able to pass it in, like, literally 10 days of college basketball. And, well, we gotta, we'll probably gotta wrap this up here soon, but what happened to Gabe Kalsher? Like, this dude shot 41% from three as a freshman, 34 as a sophomore, 24 last year, and he's shooting 15% from three so far this year. Like, what happened? I I don't know. Like, like Ron Harper Jr. too. Like, I don't know what happened to those two. Ron Harper Jr., like, he was National Player of the Year material the first month of the year last year, and it's not been so good since then. Like, he had a foot injury where he missed one game, I think, against Michigan State last year, and he's been terrible since then. I I have no clue what happened. All right, we've got Hall of Fame Classic, Arkansas, Kansas State, and – uh, Illinois versus Cincinnati. So, I mean, you, you got two big 12 teams in that. You've got, uh, Arkansas and you've got Illinois. Mm. Okay. That's a good one. I like that. And then Fort Myers tip off. Ohio State Seton Hall mm. is a okay. semifinal game. They will get Florida who will get a bye because they play California in the semifinal. Jeez, what do you think the spread on that game is going to be? Florida against California. Got to be Florida minus like 20, right? I'll say 17, but... Like, and I would probably take Florida giving the points. They destroyed Milwaukee today. Like, yikes. They are... Florida's good. Yeah. The Gators are good. They crushed Milwaukee, team. No, they're not. I think think that it'll take time. I I think I had them third in the Verizon League. They have not looked like very good at all this year so far, but we'll see. Once they once they play Horizon League teams, it could look a lot different. Like they were never going to beat Florida, probably. Like Florida is really good. And then the Maui Invitational. I think uh, there was some tweets. I don't have it pulled up here. Where like the in terms of like 
average tempo, it was like, Oh, that yeah, Jim Root from uh, Three Man Weave tweeted that out. All right, that that's where I saw it. So yeah, they were all like in the three forties to three fifties for tempo. Yeah, that that'll, they'll I'm be. Like, what is it? Oregon, Houston, St. Mary's. Uh, what what am I missing here? Um, St. Wisconsin. Ooh, oh, Texas A and M. Oh, Texas A and M. Sneaky, not bad. Sneaky, still undefeated. Are we ranking Texas A&M? No, no. Top 10? Am I hearing top 10? They're going to lose to Wisconsin. No, they are not. Yes, they are. Wisconsin is terrible. And they're going to lose to them. I, I, can't, I can't see that one happening. Is okay, that the first fine. round matchup? Yeah. Fine. Okay, let's see, if, let's if, see what if, Ken Palm thinks. Let's see what Ken Palm thinks. If they Ken, win that... Ken Palm is Wisconsin winning by three. Okay, so that'll be an ugly basketball game. And then who, whoever wins that game is going to get uh, smoked by Houston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Marcus Sasser and Kyler Edwards, like, they're fun together. They're, like, that's a good duo. Yeah. And then Shamanad is back. They get Oregon. That will go... That'll be a good uh, rebound game for Oregon. The highlight of Anthony Edwards' college career was beating Chaminade on a on a buzzer beater in the Maui Invitational. Okay, I mean if if I'm not a if I'm forced into taking a team to win this that is not Houston or Oregon, Notre Dame could be a dark horse. They just can't defend anybody like that's. That's going to be tough against these teams. Like, there's some good offenses. Like, but if St. Mary's slows down Notre Dame's offense, like, that's a potential matchup at some point. Like, there's some really good defenses in this. That's the first round matchup? Yeah. Give me St. Mary's. Like, they're going to shut down Notre Dame's offense, and Notre Dame can't defend anybody. So I think that's, that's a really poor matchup for Notre Dame. Okay. I mean, wait, we'll, we'll discuss it. I guess we're already spoiling our picks, but like, I, yeah, I, no, yeah, forget, forget what I said. Nobody's listening at this point. Come on. Yeah. We're an hour and a half in. Uh, I, I do think that's probably a good point, point to wrap the podcast up. Uh, if you've mm-hmm. been listening, if you made it this far in, if you made it this far, leave a review. Yeah. Leave a review. You must like it if you've been here for an hour and a half. I mean, I can't say I would have been here for an hour and a half. Yeah. I, I, I might have been, you know, so, sometimes there's like hour and a half podcasts. I'll listen through it. I am zoned out for half of it. So yeah, like if, if I'm like cleaning or something, that's when I have the long podcast on. Yeah, but like to be locked in, or I'll listen to it in like four segments. Like I can't listen to something straight through for that long. Like I just I can't do it. It's tough. So, I mean, if, if you made it this long, are still listening, you're a trooper. Congratulations. Uh, your, your prize is you get to leave us a five star review. Great prize. Uh, yeah. And, and until next time, we'll, we'll be back, uh, more. We'll, we'll recap these fun games and then we'll obviously do our big, uh, preview podcast of, uh, what should be kind of a 
fun feast week. So stay tuned until that one.